Well, good afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk is a program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but has some questions. Well, the program's designed for someone, well, just like me. You know, there's a lot I don't understand. No, it's not necessarily anything soul-shaking. It might just be something trivial that's been on my mind. And I discovered that rather than getting into a deep chapter and verse theological discussion, sometimes a casual front porch style talk with a pastor is the best way to understanding. And that's what this program is all about. Today's guest pastor is Andrew Preuss of St. Paul and Saint and Trinity Lutheran Church in Iowa. I have my questions. I'm sure you have yours. Now you can send your questions by email at any time to let's talk at kfuo.org. Or you could call in during the program. If you're in the St. Louis area, it's area code 314-821-0850 or toll-free anywhere in North America at 1-800-730-2727. Pastor Preuss, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me again. Has your weather been as weird as ours? I mean, here in Missouri, we have been getting... All four seasons in the in the space of one week. Yeah, no, yeah, it has. We, uh, you know, spring weather in the Midwest is kind of like, uh, kind of like teenage boys and girls. You know, when they date, they play with each other's hearts. You know? <laughs> uh, well, I live in California. We only had two seasons: summer and January. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that you know, we I guess uh, where I grew up in northern Minnesota. We had two seasons. It was winter and construction. <laughs> yeah, you people grow uh, really tough in Minnesota, I've noticed. You have to. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose that uh, you would, yeah. at least uh, in that respect, with the cold. Well, I remember uh, when I lived in Iowa, I actually got frostbite twice. No kidding. Yeah, it was no fun. One, I was out doing a, uh, it was right after the uh, uh, Iran hostage crisis. You may call it back in, some, what was it, 79, 80? Yeah. And uh, I was working for a radio station in Des Moines, and one of the hostages who'd been released was a woman named Katie Koob, who uh, was a local girl. And they decided there was going to be a big parade for her downtown when she would go from the airport to the state capitol. And I was supposed to go give a live report from the corner. So making sure that I'd be there in plenty of time, I show up 45 minutes early. She shows up 30 minutes late, and the high temperature for the day was 10 degrees. Hmm. Wow. And... Uh, <laughs> Boy, I tell you, there is no pain like when you thaw out. I mean, I took my sh my shoes off, and the pain was excruciating. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, I guess I I I don't think I've I've never had uh, the you know kind of your second degree because uh, they they're like burns. You, know, mm -hmm. you can have them in different different degrees. Yeah. But I certainly have been frostbite. Uh, I've been frostbite before, uh, not in an extreme way, but I. You know, it, I do. I do know that feeling when you're, um, you you can't really put it. They say you shouldn't put it under warm water. You got to just go in a warm spot and just wait for it to cool off. And it really, yeah, it is. It, it hurts. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I put it in cold water, and it was like it felt like it had been boiling. Oh yeah, I bet. Yeah. <sighs> Not. So now that we've bored our audience with our weather stories here. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Great way to break the ice. Yeah, that's, I like that. <laughs> I have to remember that line. Well, something had, had occurred. Uh, as we, you know, we just passed the Easter, Easter Sunday. 
And my uh, wife and I decided that we would watch the uh, new Jesus Christ Superstar. Mm-hmm. And the marvelous music, I mean, the, the, the vo- vocal work of uh, John Legend was just incredible. Absolutely incredible. And then Alice Cooper as Herod stole the show. Absolutely. So I, I loved it. And after the show, my wife, Holly, and I were discussing various aspects of it. And me being a good Lutheran and she being a good Catholic, tried not to throw, rip each other's throats out. <laughs> and uh, the, the question that, that arose that neither one of us was really able to uh, answer was at what point in Jesus' life did he truly realize who he was and what his destiny was going to be? Now, my wife was saying it wasn't until the Garden of Gethsemane. I was assuming it was way before then. But I don't know. What, 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 do, what, well, do, what was, do we know? It was certainly, it was certainly uh, much earlier than the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Roman Catholic Church, by the way, would, uh, would, would say the same. Um, you know, it's interesting you bring that up because this, um, there, I know that there have been theologians or academics, I should probably say, because because they're probably not much of theologians, but they're just kind of academics interested in in Jesus. And you you get questions about the historical Jesus and stuff like that. And of course, you know, you get books written, especially around the Easter season. That's when you know, in Christmas season you get documentaries and and articles written on uh, on who Jesus really was. Um, now, if you just go to the scriptures, um, first of all, we know that Christ claimed to be the Son of God um, really from the get-go, and that's kind of the whole point of the, of the scriptures. The first big public appearance um, where it, Jesus makes it clear to, to everyone, um, as is John the Baptist, that, that Jesus is the Son of God, um, is at his baptism, where the, where the, the dove, the, the Holy Spirit, descends on him, rests on him in the form of a dove, and the, and the Father speaks from heaven. Um, there's, uh, But then, you know, Luke gives us insights um, in the childhood of Jesus when he's in the temple. Yeah, that was going to be my question there, too. You, yeah, so he says, uh, you know, his parents ask him why he, why he treated them that way, uh, that why did he stay behind and not, not stay with them in their caravan back from Jerusalem? And he was in the temple, and he said, "Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house?" And referring, of course, to God the Father, and, and confessing himself very clearly at 12 years old um, to be the Son of God. Now, then we get in. So that's those are kind of the narratives, you know, the the, the accounts um, that we can glean from. But there's also to consider uh, the, the the fact of the matter of who Jesus is from his conception on. John John um, says in his first. Uh, chapter of his gospel, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that that, that, that it's at his, uh, we confess in the Creed that he was conceived um, by the Holy Spirit and of the Virgin Mary. And so he, here he is, even as an infant, true God and true man. And this gets into the, the mystery of godless, godliness that um, <clears throat> that Paul refers to in uh, First uh, First Timothy three sixteen that he was made manifest in the flesh, and so the divine nature of Christ is fully there, and his human nature is fully there. He's as we say in the creed, he's full God, begotten, true God, begotten of the Father from eternity, and true man, born of the Virgin Mary. 
And so, the, so what we would also say then, and again, the Roman Catholics would subscribe to this as well. Um, this is this comes from the the definition of let's see, it would be the fourth ecumenical council, the Council of Chalcedon, um, in the uh, fifth century. Um, where we define where the, the church according to the scriptures defines uh, the two natures in Christ that they are two distinct natures divine and human but one person perfectly united um not confusing the substances together as though it's like one kind of uh uh you know hybrid superman um uh but but he remains fully god and fully man and that the the divine attributes the divine nature fully communicates itself to the human nature. Now, it's at that point where we are a little bit different than the Roman Catholics, but I I don't want to get into that too much because it's, you know, that, that, that would, that would be a a whole, a whole discussion on its, on its own. Um, But, but really to put it simply is that God is all knowing, right? God knows all things. So, so in his divine nature, Jesus always knew, even at, at conception, that he was the true, that he was the true God, the only begotten Son of the Father. Now, the question then is, what did Jesus do then when he became a man? Well, Paul says in uh, Galatians 4 that he was born of a woman and born under the law. And and Paul describes also in, 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 in Philippians 2 that he humbled himself and, 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 uh, and made himself the form of a servant. And so, so, so this humbling of himself is him putting himself under the law so that he freely embraces the limitations that any ordinary baby would have or any ordinary man would have. And, and so this is, uh, you know, Saint, uh, Luke describes this in his, uh, in his gospel in, in chapter 2 there. After he goes back from the temple, he submits himself to his parents after confessing himself to be the Son of God, and then it says that he grew in wisdom and stature and favor before God and men, and which shows that while, according to his human nature and according to his incarnation, he's fully God and fully man, and he has the full communication of his divine attributes to his human, to his human nature. That is, in other words, to say that he is fully, always fully united as God and man. There's never a time that he's not God. There's never a time he's not man. Um, and yet in his humiliation, in order to put himself in the place of sinners who are condemned by the law, he willingly took on all of the infirmities um, and, and weaknesses and limitations of our flesh that are there because of our sinful nature, and he, being without sin, as the writer of the Hebrews says, was tempted in every way as we are. So we have to make a distinction between what he willingly is limiting himself um, of that is the wisdom that he's 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 allowing himself to grow in wisdom and as the writer of the Hebrews says to learn righteousness through suffering, but we got to distinguish between that and the reality of the incarnation. That in the mystery of the incarnation, he's always all knowing, he's always all powerful, he's always omnipresent, you know, everywhere at all times, and yet he does not fully use his divine attributes. Uh, which are communicated to his to his assumed human nature, and so there's that great mystery. And so, you know, we we might wonder, okay, did he know? Well, yes, he knew. But what whatever he limited himself in in knowing, according to his human nature, was done so that he might sympathize 
and not just sympathize, but take our place in every way and bear the limitations um, and weaknesses and ultimately the suffering and death that we all deserve. Well, the Bible really only talks about three phases of Jesus' life. Mm -hmm. We know of his birth. We know of his, the incident at the age of 12 when he was he was at the temple. And then we know about the last three years of his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's these huge gaps. We really don't know what's happening. And I, one theory I'd heard, I, I don't necessarily ascribe to it, but I have heard uh, brought out, was his sojourn in the desert for 40 days was mm-hmm. a way for him to fully realize what he was supposed to do. Uh, obviously, there was the preaching and all. There was the the message of from God, but the ultimate sacrifice that He paid, the death and the resurrection. Wow! Yeah, what a revelation well, that must have been. Well, yeah, well, and that that that's a good thing to bring up. And you know, to your wife's point, you know, you you brought you know with the Garden of Gethsemane, what we find at both the temptation of Christ in the wilderness, right after his his baptism. Um, as well as in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we have other cases, Luke speaks of this often, where Jesus goes in a desolate place to pray. These are examples of Christ humbling himself, um, which means that he is is willfully limiting to his human nature a a full um, uh, wisdom and uh, and, and knowledge, even though he, he has it fully. He's just not using it. So when I say he's limiting it, it's not that in, I'm not saying that in his human nature he doesn't fully have all of the divine attributes. If he didn't, then you wouldn't really be fully incarnate, right? He wouldn't really be be fully God and man. So he still he has it all. He just doesn't use it. And the reason he doesn't use it, both in the temptation and in the uh, the, the the Garden of Gethsemane, which are the two big greatest examples of this, um, he's not fully using it so that he can be in the place of sinful man. So you look at the Garden of Gethsemane, for example. Well, first let's start with the, with the temptation. What does he use to ward off the devil? He uses the Word in every yeah. case. He says, it is written, it is written. And so what he's doing there is he's submitting to his own Word. And this is part of his, we call it his vicarious obedience. So this vicarious being he's in our place, and he's obedient to the Word of God, which we were unable to do because of our sin. And so instead of just calling down legions of angels to get rid of the devil, which it would be in his power to do because he's full, he's full God, instead, in order to save us from the devil's temptation, he submitted to the Word of God so that the Word of God would then be a blessing to us when, when, when we take refuge in what Christ has done. And then you go to the Garden of Gethsemane, he does the same thing, where he says to God, um, if it be possible, take this cup from me. Here he is will, willfully um, uh, experiencing the fullness of the fear of death that a man would have, except without sin. And that's something that we can't possibly conceive of, because if you get tempted, your sinful flesh is already saying amen to the temptation, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Jesus didn't have sin, that's like the writer of the Hebrews says, and yet he still felt the fullness of that temptation, and, and of that fear of death. And so what he shows there in the Garden of Gethsemane is that tremendous obedience, which, which is what we need um, in order to be saved, but we can't do it on our own. He does it in our place. And that obedience is, 
not my will, um, but your will. That is not my will according to my human nature, which is, which is, which is, you know, by which I'm, uh, burying the weakness of the, of the sinful flesh. Um, but rather your will. And so there's a, so Jesus did not take on sinful flesh. Rather, uh, he, his flesh was always pure, but he did take on the form of a servant, which means that he, he allowed himself to have these limitations, um, to, uh, uh, and weaknesses and infirmities, um, and in the likeness of sinful flesh. So this is what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. That he that that what the law could not accomplish because of the weakness of the flesh of the sinful flesh, God accomplished by sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh in order to condemn sin in the flesh. So it you know again, Jesus always knows, um, according to His incarnation, according to being both God and man, fully united. He always knows who He is, but in order to save us from our sins. He is. He humbles himself to the point of obedience unto death, and thereby fully takes on our weaknesses and our infirmities and our sin and death. Well, at what point in his ministry does he actually explicitly say that he is going to die and be born again and, and to be raised from the dead? I know that there are all sorts of hints. He says, well, I won't be here long, things like that. But when does he specifically say that he will be killed and he will resurrect? Yeah, that, um, well, he, uh, when he is, uh, I mean, you could, you could bring it all the way back to, uh, to the, uh, uh, what he says to his disciples in John's Gospel, like when he says to Nathaniel, you know, you will see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of God, on the Son of Man. Now, this is this is a this is a uh, a little bit more hidden um, of of a message there. But then he goes on to talk about how he will be lifted up from the earth. Um, you go to John three, where he talks about uh, he talks to uh, uh, Nicodemus, and he says that uh, as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Um, so that all who believe in him will will not perish. And then he says that God loved God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Now, uh, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, when he says he gave his uh, his only begotten Son, he's he's speaking in the, in the terms of giving as an offering, giving up his only begotten Son into death. And so, uh, John, you have it very very early on, um, and you also have then uh, in the other Gospels. Uh, Jesus speaking very specifically, one example being uh, uh, a- after his uh, transfiguration, um, you have him coming down and telling them that that uh, the, the Son of Man is going to be handed over to sinful men, and they will crucify him, and he'll rise again on the last day. He says, don't tell anyone of this vision until the Son of Man is risen from the dead, uh, clearly referring to himself as the Son of Man. Um, you had the example of um, the disciples arguing among themselves, and Jesus saying that if you think of yourself as great, then you must be a servant of all, because the Son of Man came not to serve, but to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, you know, we're all over the place. I mean, this, this gospel lesson for the historic lectionary this coming Sunday is uh, John chapter 10, um, where he talks about the, uh, he's the good shepherd, and what does the good shepherd do? He gives his life up for the sheep. So um, as far as, I mean, I guess, 
I'd have to open up my Bible right now, which I should have opened up, to see when exactly we see the first instance of him talking about his his yeah. death and resurrection. I think it is before the Transfiguration. I, I should know this, but uh, yeah. um, but he he has a few different times when they when they when they really explicitly say it. So. Well, the other thing, uh, and you uh, you brought up about how he while he had power, he re- did not use it. But even when he did use it. Uh, he never used it for himself. Exactly. Yeah, you know, that's he, a great point. It really is. I mean, he just—he had the power to do whatever it was he wanted. He wasn't wandering in the desert, and had he given into the devil's temptations, he could have done it, mm-hmm. and certainly on the cross. Mm-hmm. But he never helped himself. He never did it for himself. What he did was he cured the sick. He let the blind see. He even raised the dead. Mm-hmm. And if that's not proof of God, I don't know what is. Well, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that. How do we know that? I mean, this goes back to the the the, the, the catechism questions that I that I go through with my with my catechumens that I went through too as well when I was when I was confirmed. Is um, you know, the, one of the questions is well, how do we know that Jesus is God? Um, because the Bible ascribes to him. Uh, divine names, works, and attributes. So divine names like Savior, Lord, God, um, you know, Son of God, uh, Christ. Um, these are all divine names, works. He, like he said, he raised the dead, he healed the sick, he, um, you know, he forgave sins, um, attributes, that he knows all things, that he's able to disappear, you know, in the, in the midst of people. Um, and uh, so these, this is how we know it. And th- this is when, you know, where, where uh, you do have some explicit passages in the scriptures that specifically say he is God and that he is man. Um, but it's not just the, those, the names, it's also what he does. I and mean, you see, I mean, you can't see what Jesus does if, and, and not conclude that he is the true God, um, the true Son of God. And that's the real message of the scripture. So, I mean, the Testament makes it very clear. The Old Testament sets it up, mm-hmm. gives the history, yeah. let, you know, brings us up to what's going to happen. And then the New Testament, this is the whole point. Yeah, he was here, and this is what happened. And I still, it, it, I still have a, I won't say a problem. I won't say I'm, I'm awed. You know, at the thought of looking at a twelve-year-old boy, mm-hmm. and knowing that this 12-year-old boy is the Son of God, and he's going to be crucified and, and raised from the dead. Wow. Mm-hmm. Maybe he didn't at the age of 12. I don't know, but he certainly indicated that he did. Now, obviously, Mary knew it, uh, at least knew that he was the Son of God. Joseph certainly knew. Yeah, I would say that he did know when he was 12. Um, but by the way, it was it was right before his transfiguration that Jesus, the first first tells his disciples explicitly about his death and resurrection. It was after he gave them entrusted to uh, to Peter and the apostles the keys. But anyway, um, no, he, he certainly, he, he definitely knew. I mean, you look at the context there in, in, uh, uh, in, in Luke chapter 2, um, you know, this is, uh, they go and they visit, um, they visit the temple, and Simeon, when he's a baby, and Simeon says explicitly to them, you know, this one is uh, is is going to be uh, the the cause of the you know the rise and fall um, of nations, and and that 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 a sword will pierce through your own soul, uh, speaking to to Mary, um, and that there that 
one of the things, too, like you mentioned the Old Testament sets it up. Well, what is Jesus doing in the temple when he's 12? He's talking to people. And who's he talking to? He's talking to the, to the priests, to the to, you know, scribes, to those who study the scriptures that we, we know as the Old Testament. Well, what goes on at the temple? The sacrifices. And, and, and the temple is all about that. It's all about these sacrifices that turn God's wrath away and turn God's anger away. And the scriptures are all about God providing the sacrifice as, you know, uh, Mount Moriah, uh, where, where, where Abraham uh, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. And, uh, and then they, they, they call it the Lord will provide, because the Lord will provide the sacrifice. And so this is very clear throughout the Old Testament. And Jesus, Jesus would have been talking about this. There's nothing else to talk about. You know, I mean, there's other stuff, but that's really the center of it all. Um, so, you know, the center of Jesus' entire life and death, the entire reason why he was born, was to give his life as a sacrifice. So if Jesus knows that he's the Son of God, which he clearly does, as, as Luke explicitly says, that I must be in my Father's house, well, then he certainly knows what he's on earth to do as the Son of God, and that is to give his life up um, as a sacrifice. What, so, a, what a wonderful what a wonderful understanding. I mean, it's a... Uh, yeah, how uh, uh, Christian we can only be in, in awe of that. Mm-hmm. We've got to and take a short... Grew. He certainly grew in understanding. I mean, that's oh, true, yeah. too. So, I mean, the extent of what he allowed himself in his humiliation to know, that, of course, is a mystery to us. I mean, the whole thing is a great mystery. It really is. And, and, and I think the fact that he did not use his his power to, in any way, aid himself was to show mm-hmm. that he truly <clears throat> understood and knew what the sufferings and the doubts and all the problems that mankind had. He knew. And then he had all this proof around here that he mm-hmm. were the miracles that he did work. Yeah. And so exactly. I think that that set the stage. Well, mm-hmm. Pastor, we got to take a little break here, but there's a lot more to unpack here, and we got a lot more to talk about. All right. love our neighbor on the internet why are the creeds so important what does it mean to practice christian hospitality questions like these are answered in every edition of the lutheran witness the monthly magazine of the lcms the lutheran witness can help you interpret the world from a lutheran christian perspective by providing reliable biblical reflections on the issues that you care about the most get your free issue at cph.org witness that's cph.org witness Proverbs 27, 17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their mettle against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m., every weekday on Worldwide KFUO. 
Zika is still a threat, and its effect on an unborn child can be devastating. So we're taking our doctor's advice on how to protect our unborn baby from Zika birth defects. Let's keep stopping Zika. Visit cdc.gov slash prevent Zika. Mosquitoes can spread Zika, so wear insect repellent, long sleeve shirts, and long pants. Dump standing water and use window screens or AC. I'm not taking a chance with Zika. Let's keep stopping Zika. Visit cdc.gov slash prevent Zika. This message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson, host of Moments of Assurance here on Worldwide KFUO. Coming up on the next MOA weekend, I'm going to be sharing some thoughts with you about the temptations of Jesus in the wilderness. When the devil brought the tempting situations to him, he merely quoted scripture. How about you? What does it take for you to conquer temptation when it comes? I'll talk about it this Saturday and Sunday on Moments of Assurance weekend at 7.45 a.m. here on Worldwide KFUO. We're known as the messenger of good news. In 1914, the assassination of Austria's Archduke Ferdinand set off a series of events leading to the beginning of World War I. While in the U.S., President Woodrow Wilson was determined America would remain neutral. A stance that began to erode in 1915 when, without warning, the British ocean liner Lusitania was torpedoed with 1,198 people, including 128 Americans, losing their lives. As events escalated, President Wilson gave an address later that year about the need to ensure that the armed forces were prepared to defend the country. After the address, he wrote, there is a quotation from Ezekiel, which I have had very much in mind recently. He quoted Ezekiel 33, which in part says, he that heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning, his blood shall be upon him, but he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Well, welcome back to Let's Talk. The Pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Guest pastor today is Pastor Andrew Preuss. And you can join our conversation. Email us at letstalk at kfuo.org. Or you could call in. And if you're in the St. Louis area, it's area code 314-821-0850. Or anywhere in North America, it's 1-800-730-2727. We've been talking about things that have been revealed or, or questions that have been revealed or asked specifically as the result of my wife and I sitting down and watching Jesus Christ Superstar. Pastor, have you seen it? No, I've never seen it. Oh, you have to. You have to. It's marvelous. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw... never, well, I was never really a fan of Andrew Lloyd Webber, to be honest. I don't know if that's blasphemy. <laughs> but um, the, uh, I saw, I saw the, the Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat mm-hmm. when I was seven. Uh, no, I was younger than that. I think I was like 13. My It was a high school play, and I don't know. They never talked about God or anything, so I was just a little turned off. But So I just was, I, I, I always just kind of wasn't, and then we always had to sing the Phantom of the Opera in choir, and so I just, I don't know, never a big fan of Andrew Lloyd Webber. Sorry. <laughs> well, I've always liked, of course, you know, being a St. Louis, and you have to love musicals. You know, we had the Muni Opera here, and that was just, when I was growing sure. up, I mean, that was my standard date. You know, as I'd take my date out to the Muni, and then we'd go out to uh, a place called, oh, gosh, what was the name of it? It's not around anymore, I don't think. Oh, uh, Cicero's. No, not mm-hmm. Cicero's. That's a bar. <laughs> I used to go there, too. Cerano's, excuse me. Cerano's. And what they did is they served all sorts of coffee and ice cream, and they had piped-in classical guitar. It was, it, was, it was a fun thing to do. But I digress. The thing is, is that um, 
You know, I really do enjoy those movies. Uh, I loved, uh, as I say, I like both the original version that I saw. I actually have seen three versions. I saw the stage version. I saw the original movie version, and then I, I saw the uh, one that was just released. And, and the, I have to say, the music is just incredible. Go to YouTube. Some of the stuff is out on there. And I, as as I said, the, the scene with Alice Cooper as Herod just stole it. Just absolutely mm. stole it. But there's been a lot of movies made about with religious themes throughout the uh, the ages. I remember, uh, of course, there was uh, the Ten Commandments, where you saw Jeffrey Hunter as Jesus with blue eyes, uh huh, and uh, wandering through the desert. And there was a favorite, a famous movie, Full Paw, there where you could actually see the petty loafers he was wearing, and uh, all the dancing girls who had their smallpox uh, scars, you know. <laughs> For, for vaccination scars, uh, but then it's moved up to uh, to the present day. There's some very interesting ones that have come out. I mean, the uh, two re- <clears throat> excuse me, two recent ones I've seen that really made an impact on me. Uh, one was Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. Mm, yeah, now I've that, seen that. Yeah, that's I've seen that several times. That's very well done. Extremely well done, and it came in for. A lot of criticism. Uh, some of it, I think, was kind of silly. The uh, one was, well, gee, they're speaking uh, they're speaking Latin when they should be speaking Greek. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, of course, there were, the, there were some claims of anti-Semitism and fears that there'd be a wave of anti-Semitism. Well, yeah, that didn't happen. And, you know, I think Scripture is clear that the... The problem there was with the leaders of the Sanhedrin, who were nothing more than collaborators with the uh, with the Roman occupiers. The rank and file Jews had nothing to do with the crucifixion. I don't think. Well, I mean, they, they, sort of. I mean, it's kind of you know, it's funny. I just preached on this on Good Friday. Um, I talked about this very thing that this was a huge, you know, the the one lion, the lion that was uh, that was so controversial. Which again is just kind of you know interesting that it's controversial because it's not like Mel Gibson inserted it in there. It's from the Gospel of Matthew when they say his blood be on us and our children. And mm-hmm. you know the compromise that they made was, well, we'll just take it out of the subtitles, but you can still hear Caiaphas saying it on behalf of the people, and they just don't have the camera on him. But you know they're showing Pilate, and you can hear Caiaphas in the background saying, you know, I, I, I. Knowing my my Hebrew being a bit rusty, I could recognize the dama, you know, the blood, um, and uh, 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 you know, being being on on them and their their children. Now, the the point that I made in my sermon was that well, <clears throat> this is something that we should all say because we as we we these are all over in our our hymns and in, in during Lent and Good Friday, um, you know, I you know this is. Uh, this I do merit is the, you know, oh dearest Jesus, what law hast thou broken? One other translation says, I crucified thee, you know, I must make confession, you know, all this stuff, uh, oh sinner come thy sin to mourn so vast and vile that it has borne Christ to this veil of anguish, you know, our sins are responsible for this. And so then that, that statement, his blood be in us and our children, becomes a very comforting statement to us. It's both in repentance and in joy, because in repentance we recognize that we are responsible for it because of our sins, mm. and in joy because we actually have the blood of Christ on us in our baptism. And so let it be on us and our children, so because it saves us. Um, but going, you know, you're, you're, you know, about whether it was the the leaders of the Jews or the Jews. Certainly, you're right. I mean, it was the leaders of the Jews, and this is pointed out. Um, <clears throat> this is pointed out, uh, you know, by the apostles. But Peter, 
Peter calls to repentance, not just the leaders of the Jews, he calls to repentance at Pentecost, you know, those, even the Jews who were led, led, misled into this. And then they repented, you know, with their, their, they were cut to the heart and they repented. So, you know, it's, and that's the thing is that so often, you know, you, you see these books, again, you see books and articles written on uh, who crucified Jesus or why did Jesus have to die? And they want to frame it as, oh, well, it was, it was the the Jewish leaders, or it was the it was Pontius Pilate, and uh, well, it was all of us. We all did. No. You know that was the point. So <laughs> repent and take comfort in the fact that he actually loved you so much to shed his blood for you and save you. Well, I think there are two points to be made for that. You know, first that you know Caiaphas may have said that, but he certainly didn't have the power to condemn him his his entire people or yeah. through generations. Yep. And secondly, as you pointed out. The crucifixion was necessary. You know, who crucified him? We did. It was our mm-hmm. blood. Mm-hmm. Because we're yeah. the sinners. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and that's something too. You know, when and, and when it comes to you know the question about the generations, um, Paul talks about this. Uh, you know, in, in Romans, uh, that there's a, there's a partial hardening that took place, and he, he calls it a great mystery. Um, that the, there's a partial hardening that took place over Israel, so that Christ may. Uh, uh, might die for all the nations and bring in the fullness of the Gentiles uh, uh, in, into into uh, God's uh, God's family, um, and uh, you know in a similar way of why Pharaoh's heart was hardened, um, so that God might show his his wonder and save his people. Um, so Paul also talks about in Second Second uh, Corinthians about how there's a veil that remains over their faces. So when they hear Moses being read, when they hear the Old Testament, they don't see, they're blinded to the fact that Christ is talking about Christ. Now, this is certainly still true of the Jews who do not accept Christ, that there is a veil over their face, and that it is a and, and it is really a sign um, of, of judgment to come, you know, that, that when they reject it. But see, this is also true, um, and even more so, of those who have come from Christian backgrounds and have turned their back on the gospel mm. where, you know, where a, a, a veil remains over their face. And it shows us that this is serious business. Um, we should, uh, the word of God is no child's play. You know, this is the, the 20 questions and answers that uh, Luther wrote up for preparation for, for, for the Lord's Supper. It, it concludes by saying, you know, these drawn up by Martin Luther were written up, written with care, and there are no child's play. You know, it's a serious stuff. And, uh, you know, we are to fear God, and we're to tremble at his word, and recognize that his word isn't something that we can just lay out on an operating table and figure out what, you know, what we're going to do with it. No, the word of God, and what's interesting, I was just talking to a Jew last summer, and he made this point. He said, you know, people say that time is like a chisel, and the Word of God is a rock, and it needs to be chiseled by time. And he said, well, it's actually the opposite, that, uh, that, that the Word of God is the chisel, and we need to be formed by the Word of God. And I said to him, uh, I said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God, my friend. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then I went on to say, you know, as the psalmist says, that Word is a, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path, and uh, that God promised, his, promised to send the true light into the world, to rise and shine, and, and that light is Jesus Christ. And, you know, I, just, I told him about that. Once I said that, though, it was like, he just said, ah, well, no, 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 no. And he just wouldn't wouldn't listen. And it was really sad. It showed me that, wow, this is really a veil over his face. And so I, you know, while we don't want to 
we got to understand that judgment is from God. This isn't a judgment that we are making on the Jews in some, like, political, socio-political battle or something, like a culture war. Rather, it's it's a judgment that God makes on those who hear his word and yet don't listen to the Son whom he has sent and, and whom he testifies of throughout the Scriptures. And this is, again, a warning to all of us not to take God's word in a, in a flippant manner, as though we can pick and choose what we want. Yeah, I understand that, and it's uh, this, this is part of uh, this is part of how this is being exposed. You know, I, I live in a Jewish neighborhood, I'm very heavily oh, Jewish, yeah. and I see my my Jewish neighbors going to temple every uh, Friday evening, and uh, they're good people. You know, I like living with them; they're uh, mm-hmm. good neighbors. I couldn't ask for better. Yeah, uh, but I pray for them. I pray for them every day. Yeah. Yeah, as you should. And, I mean, you, this gets to the difference between, you know, civil righteousness and true spiritual righteousness of the heart. Um, you know, Moses says to the people, circumcise the foreskins of your heart. Um, it's not just about ob- obeying the law. It's about the law having its way with you and showing your true need for God's mercy in, in his Son, in the Savior whom he has promised uh, uh, descend uh, through the, the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the devil. And this is, you know, very clearly taught in the Old Testament. Um, and But yeah, I agree with you. One of my, one guy who I, I don't agree with everything he says, obviously, um, even politically, but one guy who I often enjoy listening to is a guy named Ben Shapiro, who's a, oh, yeah. you know, he's a Jew, and and he is incredibly well well articulate, well-spoken, and um, it's fun to listen to him. And and when I visited with these Jews, these Hasidic Jews um, out in Postville, uh, Iowa, which isn't, you know, which is kind of, they got like this random place in Iowa, this Jew, you know, pretty sizable Jewish population. (laughs) And I very much enjoyed talking to them. It was, it was a lot of fun um, talking about the Old Testament. Um, And it's a, it's a great opportunity to, 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 uh, to go back and learn your Old Testament and, and be able to, to bear witness to the Son of God um, in every in every conversation. Um, but, you know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's also a humbling thing because it shows that, wow, in many ways they outdo us with how zealous they are and how, you know, uh, how, how righteous they are on the outside. Oh, and, I agree with you. It's, I, I look at my neighbors, I mean, and they strictly follow the rule. I mean, they... they they park their cars and they walk to the temple. They don't. They can't mm-hmm. drive. Uh, give an example. We had. Uh, <clears throat> I had a this wonderful German shepherd who sometimes had a bad habit of jumping the fence, mm-hmm. and uh, these two uh, teenage girls uh, had found him, and the address was on his, his tag. And they came to the house. My wife and I were both gone, so then they went to the next door neighbor and uh, said. And asked if they could write a note to leave on our door because it was a it was a holy day for them and they couldn't write. Huh. And so what they did was they asked these people to write uh, a note and leave it on our door and then to, to and then to tell us where the dog was. Huh. Another wow. time, yeah, it is. And another, <laughs> another time, the same old dog, this big old German Shepherd. 
uh, he jumped the fence again and turned up at the uh, synagogue <laughs> at the temple. <laughs> and, oh man! And the temple secretary called us and said, "You want to come here and get Conrad?" <laughs> you know, so it's really interesting. I mean, this is it shows that the the things that Jesus was addressing are still issues. You know, I mean, like Christ would, like Christ said, "How many of you, if you see that your animal, you know, is stuck in the ditch, isn't going to go yeah. help?" You know, and, and, and get get him out. And so is it wrong to do good on the Sabbath? I mean, to bring someone's dog back to him, that's a good work. It's a good thing. And it shows how the law, it's, this is the saddest thing that we see both in the time of Jesus and even today, and, and not just with the Jews. I think this is just human nature. The human nature wants to be justified by the law, and they want to be run by just simply rules. You know, that one of the things that... um do you know when they ask Jesus in Matthew, uh, was it 24, uh, 24, 25, uh, what is the greatest commandment? You know, and, and Jesus says, you know, there's the two great commandments are love God above all things, love your neighbor as yourself. And, uh, you know, when they ask him what the great commandment is, I mean, they have 600 some commandments. Now, I always thought that these 600 some commandments were just a bunch of traditions that they made up. Now, they certainly had their traditions from the, um, you know, like certain washings that they had to do. But when you look at these commandments, um, it's called the, 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 the mishpatim, um, which means just the commandments or the statutes. And really what they are is they took out all of, they, they, they compiled every commandment in the Old Testament, in the Torah, in the first five books of Moses, and just compiled them together. And so none of the commandments of the, these many 600-some commandments are are contrary to scripture. None of them are 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 uh, extra biblical. Um, they're all in the Bible. The problem with it, though, is that when they strip them all out, they're taking them from their context, and the context of all these commandments is the gospel. So, for just for example, take the third commandment in uh, Exodus twenty when it talks about that you should work six days and then rest on the seventh. It then says. For God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. And so what the point there is that it is to teach you about God and how he is and that he desires rest for you. You know, and you look at the, you, you, you look at, um, you know, all, so many of these commandments that they're there not to give you righteousness, but rather as a shadow of the true righteousness which is to come, and that is the mercy of God. And that's why Jesus says, well, God says through Hosea, and Jesus often quotes it, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That is, I don't simply desire that you do your outward sacrifices, like not technically doing any work on the Sabbath or offering the right, the right animal. I desire mercy. That is, I desire a heart that is uh, broken and contrite and, and uh, clings to the mercy of God and therefore wants to show mercy to the neighbor. So they can do, they'll end up doing a lot of outwardly good works, but that's just a that shows right there how the law has become just a rule rather than a reflection of the true righteousness of faith. And then uh, Isaiah 28 talks about this, that, that the word of God would give you life, right? But the word of the Lord became to them line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. In other words, just a bunch of rules. And when that's the case, then you strip the life out of the word and because the law doesn't give life, only the gospel does. Well, again, that's just what 
one of our programs is called Law and Gospel. Mm-hmm. And they, they go hand in glove. And I think, uh, you know, as a Christian, this is how I feel where, where the Jewish faith fails, mm-hmm. is, is they don't have the gospel. They just have the law. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, boy, they come so close sometimes. It's really, uh, last summer, um, a, 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 pastor, a pastor friend of mine gave me a commentary by this Jewish, uh, this Jewish uh, scholar on the, uh, the Minor Prophets, because I'm doing a Bible study, I'm still doing it, on the Minor Prophets. And Hosea, a great theme in Hosea is the, uh, the, the, the knowledge of the Lord, um, and uh, that, that, you know, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And uh, one point that Luther makes a lot, and that, that I, I was taught in seminary, and it's just a very important point, is that in the Old Testament, the word for knowledge is to know. Like, it's, it's more of just, it's more than just head knowledge. It's knowing God personally. So just like what Jesus says, uh, I know my sheep, and, and my sheep know me. Um, and and I, I, read, I read in this, uh, this commentary, written by a Jew who does not acknowledge Christ as the Savior, and yet he's making that very point, and it was beautiful, like with the, the point he's making. But it was still, he wasn't quite there. It's like they come. So it's like what Jesus says to that man that you are not far from the kingdom of heaven. And, and Paul says in Romans three, so what advantage have the Jews? And he says, well, much in every way to them was entrusted the oracles of God. So you're going to find some great nuggets coming out of these pious Jews. But like you said, they don't have the gospel. And that's the one thing, and they can come very, very close, and they can talk about virtue and all this stuff, and yet if you don't have the Son of God who gives himself up as a sacrifice for sins by his, his, his obedience in our place, if that is not the righteousness that you, by which you cling, you know, to which you cling and by which you stand before God, then it, none of it matters, and that's such a humbling thing. It's like... Uh... Making the run on that football field only to, only to uh, be out, going out of bounds to the last yard in its last play. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. And really, see, again, this should make us, the way that we should react to this, like you said, we should pray for them. And, and the way that we should react to this should not be in an arrogant kind of like, mm. oh, well, we got it right. We only have the true doctrine. And this goes also not just comparing us with the Jews, but with other Christian denominations that have, that, that hold to uh, a false doctrine, a various types of false doctrine. We, if we have the pure doctrine, that's something that we should be very thankful to God for, because we don't have it because of our own merits. No. Um, God is so gracious to give it to us. And well, have so there been we, no Jews, there be no Christians. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, God chose these people as his, as, as his own to, uh, um, in order to bring about the fullness of the Gentiles, uh, the salvation of the of the Gentiles, which is our ancestors, who were a bunch of pagans. You know? Yeah. Uh, well, but, well, that was the point, is that the you know, the Jews were a very small group of people. Mm-hmm. All of God's mm-hmm. people, all the people of the world, were the Gentiles. You know, there were more, mm-hmm. many, many more Gentiles than there were Jews. And Jesus yeah. came for, for them as well as for the Jews. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, it's, um, I was just, uh, I was on... Um, Last week I was on Iron Sharper Iron with uh, Pastor Fisk, mm. and uh, he we were talking about uh, Hebrews eleven, and uh, he we talked a little bit afterwards. Uh, we were kind of texting back and forth, and still we were still talking about the text. We were still discussing it uh, even after the show, and he pointed out that uh, when it says that um, that by faith 
you know uh, Moses was uh, was was put in was put in a basket because his uh, his his parents saw that he was beautiful that he was a beautiful child, and uh, Pastor Fisk went and did some did some word study on that word for beautiful, and it shows that he's of beautiful descent because you know if you if you recall from the time of Joseph. You know, the, the Egyptians refused to eat with the Hebrews. They refused to eat with, the, with Jacob's sons because they were an abomination to them. You know, like they were looked down on and despised. And yet Moses' parents see that he's beautiful. That is, that he is a child. Uh, they're, really what they're doing is they're trusting in the promise that God gave to their father Abraham. And so they're, they're seen through faith that he's a beautiful child, even though he's despised by the world. In fact, the world wants to throw him into the Nile and kill him. <laughs> so, so yeah, definitely. God works through. God works through everyone. It's mm-hmm. amazing when you, when you just sit down and contemplate it. And, you know, like I you know, like I said a couple of minutes ago. You know, the vast majority of the world then and now are Gentile, mm-hmm. and that that's the point that that is so wondrous about this was how, how God used this one small group of people to save the entire world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you see how we see all the weaknesses of God's people. Um, Psalm 78 very much brings this brings this out, how, you know, they're always sinning, and then God brings them, God allows them to be given up to their enemies, and then he saves them, and they call out to him, and it's just constantly the same, and it's a great example to us that it hasn't changed. You know, I was just talking to my wife about this with, um, you know, every great mission, um, uh, uh, you know, expansion of the church, they, they're sporadic. I mean, these aren't, these aren't happening by our own strategies and our own careful planning. These are, it's all by the grace of God. You know, God was the one who made, who caused the people of Israel to multiply greatly in the land of Egypt. And he, it is all the Lord of the harvest who who makes sure that his word goes out. And that's what he did um, through his history of his people Israel and now bringing in his true Israel, both from uh, that true spiritual remnant, which is both from the um, those who are born of, uh, of Abraham according to the flesh, but even we who were born of, uh, you know, from pagan ancestors. He brings us all in to be one flock so that there is one shepherd and we are surrounded by gathering around the pure gospel proclaimed to us wonderful words and wonderful thoughts <clears throat> and we are coming up of course uh this is going to be uh this sunday is what the shepherd sunday yeah for for the one-year lectionary i'm not sure if the three-year lectionary has the good uh, shepherd sunday this year uh or, or, let's see I'm, i can look at it real quick here okay we got about 30 Third seconds year. here yeah no it doesn't um, I don't know when. <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one of the things. One of the reasons why we go to church is to learn these things. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Pastor Price, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to discuss these issues with me. It, it's fun. I really enjoy the program, and I thoroughly enjoy having you on it. After all, at the end of the day, Price has a long history here with the Synod. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, thank you very much. I'm uh, I'm honored to uh, to be on. So, have a great day. <laughs> thank you much. Bye.
Okay, well, you've been listening to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. Our guest pastor today was Pastor Andrew Preuss from St. Paul and Trinity Lutheran Churches in Iowa. I want to give a special shout-out and thanks to Pastor Emeritus Fritz Bowie for letting us use his recording of all glory, Lord, and honor for the theme song of Let's Talk. We'll be back next Friday. listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting The Pastor Is In on Worldwide KFUO. Hi. I'm Gary Duncan, the General Manager of Worldwide KFUO. In Romans 10:17, we read, Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. There's a great need among the people of this world to hear the Word of Christ. A need to hear about the hope, love, mercy, and salvation found in Jesus. As a partner with us, KFUO becomes your voice to declare the gospel of Christ to those still in darkness. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That's John 20, 21. When you make a gift to KFUO, we together as one voice go out to the world and proclaim that good news of Christ through this radio ministry. Join us for Sherathon 2018, April 19th through 21st. Celebrate your radio station and enjoy your favorite host and guest during this three-day Sherathon event. Again, Sherathon 2018 is April 19th through 21st on WorldwideKFUO.org and AMA50KFUO in St. Louis. The messenger of good news.